Jesus Christ has changed everything about life. And I hope, I pray, that this Christmas, in a renewed way, certainly not in a, an unfamiliar way, uh, you will marvel at the mystery of Christ and his extraordinary love for you the changes that he came to make in life and the difference that he has made in life. Well, this morning, we, it's already been a very good day. It's already been an enjoyable time. I enjoyed listening to the singing and participating in some. Um, and I'm grateful, as always, for all the things that uh, the Lord has allowed us to do. And, of course, uh, now comes my favorite part. <laughs> amen, amen. <laughs> you might surpass yours and yours alone. That's okay. Amen, amen, amen. I invite you to take your, your copy of the scriptures or a device that contains them and turn back with me to the gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1. Uh, we are going through a series this year called The Women of Christmas. Luke chapter 1, we'll begin with verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and he shall, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. and The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month of her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the maid servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Father, thank you so much again uh, for this day and, as always, for your goodnesses. And thank you, Father, that you delight to share yourself with us, your truth with us, your word, your salvation, your character. And, Father, we are greatly enriched as a result of sitting at your feet and learning so much. And thank you, Father, that uh, we are willing to be made willing to receive all that you say and to act upon it. So strengthen us 
to be attentive to you as you speak to us. And of course, hinder the wicked one lest he have any part in what we do in the next few minutes. Allow us not to wander, but to be attentive, showing you how much you mean to us as we give rapt attention to your word. And as always, even before we hear, we pledge to give you the praise and the honor and the thanksgiving for all that we hear and all that we will do as a result of it. Because, Father, we ask all of these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. The woman of Christmas, last week, uh, we talked about the fact that Christmas is a season of problems. We looked at Mary, excuse me, we looked at Elizabeth, the middle-aged, seasoned role model for us who taught us that in this season there can be problems, but there's also great privilege, as well as opportunities for personal growth and praise to God for what he has provided and the the people that he has surrounded us with. Well, this morning I want us to talk about Mary, the teenaged servant. And I'm happy that the teenagers will be a chance, have a chance to hear uh, what Mary has to say to them uh, this morning because she has a great deal to say. Mary is a great role model for us. Why is that? Well, let me give you uh, some four reasons, perhaps five, why Mary is a great role model for us. Actually, there's five. I just said that. First of all, it's because she had a common background. She had a common background. If you look at verse 26, it begins. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, what is special about Nazareth? Nothing. Nazareth was just a little hick town north of the real town, Jerusalem, where everything happened. And you would expect that if anything significant was going to happen, it would happen in Jerusalem. In fact, the Magi, when they come, next chapter over, they come to Jerusalem because that's where the kingdom is set up, right? That's where you would expect the king to be. And they're saying, where is he who's born king of the Jews? We saw a star. You go to Jerusalem, because that's where the action is. Nothing happens in Nazareth. Nobody knows about Nazareth. Oh, but God does. Mary is nobody special. She's she's not a person uh, that is genealogically, as far as people know, of no, no one can say that she's, you know, sometimes you can say, well, my last name is Rockefeller or Kennedy or, you know, something like that. And people will go, oh. But nobody knew who Mary was except God. And so I'm, I, I'm struck by that because she was just a common nobody then she only becomes somebody because God willed it so. You remember that song, I won't sing it because, you know, you might run out of here screaming. But the song says, I'm just a nobody, right? Trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. That's Mary. She's nobody special, 
but she gets to become special because the God who makes special knew her name and he chose her to be a part. You know, Mary is like us and she's a great role model for us because let's face it, you and I, we ain't special. Now, we may be a legend in our own minds, but that's not true of anybody else. In fact, Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, But consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen what? The foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He's chosen the weak things to shame the things that are strong and the base things. And in case you're wondering, that's, that's us. <laughs> the base things of this world and the things that are not, the things that are nothing uh, to nullify the things that are so, so that, that no man may boast before God. God has deliberately chosen you and me because there's nothing special about us. I'm grateful for that. You know, I told you before, I was, I was uh, playing basketball back in my younger days. And this was shortly after I became a Christian. And, you know, I was playing basketball with the guys that led me to Christ. And we were playing one-on-one because there were only three of us, you know, uh, what else, four. But uh, there was um, Vernon and Ernest. And then there was this guy that, that didn't know Christ named Clay. And then there was me. And so we said, well, let's, let's play basketball. And, you know, I, I thought I had a decent game. I mean, I'm not LeBron, but, I mean, who is? I mean, LeBron looked like he was 38 years old when he was in high school. So, you know, nobody's LeBron. But I had a decent game. And, you know, we were playing. And so we played one-on-one. And, I mean, man, I, I just whipped him raggedy. I, I, I did. I, I have to be honest. I couldn't miss, man. I was just swish. Swish, come on, who's the next sucker? Come on out here. And, you know, what was happening is that the loser, <laughs> they would go and sit on the sideline with Clay. And they started, started sharing the gospel with Clay. And then when the, the next guy lost, he would come, and he would take that guy's spot, and this, this would come and get a beat down. I mean, get, you know, play the game. <laughs> And I mean, I, I, I whipped them raggedy. And then, you know, after a while, we got done and they said, yeah, Clay, he received Christ. And, and then, that's not what I said. <laughs> I said, man, <laughs> I had this, this eerie feeling that somehow God was letting me beat those guys. So that they could go and witness the clay so that he could get saved. And the reason I couldn't miss no shot is because he let me, he enabled me to get all these shots. And it wasn't about me at all. It was about clay. He was just using me (laughs) to reach clay. I I was completely humbled by that. And they were like, yeah, Ray, praise the Lord. Clay got saved. I'm like, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Praise God, right? Listen, 
I am only what God enables me to be. There's nothing special about me except what he allows and what he performs. But that's a good thing. Because that means that, that if I'm nobody to you, he knows my name. He knows who I am and, and where I am and what I am. And better than that, he knows where he's going to take me and what he wants to make me. And, you know, I'm cool with that, you know. And that's Mary. She's a good role model because she's no, no one special. So she can identify with you and I. Secondly, Mary, Mary had character. Yeah, now, why do I say that? Look at verse 27. I mean, this is, this is one of those things that struck me as I was reading through this. Like, it says that, that Gabriel was sent, verse 27 says, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Okay. Well, notice, notice the order. Notice it says virgin Betrothed to Joseph, it says more about Joseph than it does about her. And then at the end, it says, oh, by the way, it doesn't say by the way, but it says her name was Mary. And, and it struck me because it tells me that, that, you know, before he says who she is, he says what she is. And so I put in my notes, you know, character precedes calling. God, God is more interested in what I am, my character, than he is who I am. Now, I spend all my time trying to get folks to know my name. But God is way more concerned about what goes on in here. I forget who it was that said it, but they said, what a man is before God, that he is, and nothing more. Nothing more. It's, it's what does God see that makes all the difference in the world? It's what does God think and what do y'all think that makes all the difference in the world? George Liddell has this poem. It says this. He says, give me a man of God, one man. It doesn't take a lot. Just one man whose faith is master of his mind and I will right all wrong. And bless the name of all mankind. Give me a man of God, one man whose tongue is touched with heaven's fire, and I will flame the darkest nights with high resolve and clean desires. Give me a man of God, one man, one mighty preacher of the Lord, and I will give you peace on earth. But with a prayer, and not a sword, you know, it kind of reminds you of the the interaction of Samson and Samuel. You know, historically, chronologically, they're kind of side by side. They're separated by the day-night migration, but when you look at them, you see barren woman, angel appears, tells her she's going to have a son, and he's going to begin to deliver Israel. And you've got, on the other side, Barren woman prays and asks God for a child. I will lend him to the Lord all the days of his life. Both of them are Nazarites, totally dedicated to God. But one fails abysmally, even though he was a judge for 40 years. More self-interested 
than God interested, but the other delivers his people from the Philistines all the days of his life until he retires. See, It's, it's what you are and, and not who you are. Character is the most important thing. And he says, give me a man of God, one man true to the vision that he sees, and I will build your broken shrines and bring the nations to their knees. He's saying, I don't need an army. I just need one man. It's interesting when Elisha uh, comes to the Jordan, he rolls up Elisha's, Elijah's cape, he hits the water, and he says, where's the God of Elijah? And, of course, the, the war is part. Someone commenting on that says, the problem we have today is not where's the God of Elijah, but where are the Elijahs of God? Where are the people who take God so seriously that they're willing to fall down and do his will and let him display to the world how great he is? Well, Mary was that, that person. She, she had character. She, she, was, she, she kept herself pure. In a day and age when it was expected that young women did so. As a matter of fact, it was so much so that if you did not keep yourself pure before you got married, you might not live long enough to get married. But we don't have that standard today. Another thing about Mary, she's a great role model because she was contracted. She was contracted. It, it says that, that she, she was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Now, now you have to understand, when it says she's a virgin, the, the, the word there, parthenos, in the Greek, it it literally, in the Corne Greek, the common everyday Greek, normally referred to a girl who was between 12 and 14 years old. So she, she's a young lady, a teenage young lady. Now, you know, today, you know, they say that the average woman gets married in her 30s. You know, they put off getting married because, you know, there's so much life to live, so much fun to be had that you don't have time to be tied down by marriage. But in that day and age, then when she reached childbearing age, how you know it reached childbearing age? Because <laughs> they, they have a period, right? You have a period, that's because that means eggs are breaking out of the sack one a month, right? And if eggs are breaking out of the sack, then they can be impregnated. You can have a child. So she's reached that age, and if you're old enough to bear children, then that means that you're old enough to be contracted to marry. And so, of course, what Joseph does is he goes to the father and he contracts with the father to marry the daughter. And, you know, they sign the contract. She is legally bound to him, and then he pays the dad. I like that part. I mean, we married, <laughs> my oldest daughter got married. I know how much it costs me. I'm like, that dude need to be paying me, man. <laughs> but that's not how it goes in, in our culture. But, you know, he would contract with the father. He would pay him a dowry for the loss of his daughter and the worker in the home. And then he would, uh, he would leave her at her father's house, and he would go to his father's house, and he would build an addition to his father's house. Now, I don't want to blow your thinking, 
But you know, in, <laughs> in John 14, it says, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. It's, it's not mansions. You don't get a spread with an a, a acre of grass around you. No, just think sort of like a, a hotel or, or row houses or something where they're all connected. The son will build an addition to the father's house. And then when he built the addition and everything is all laid out and ready, then he will come and he will consummate the marriage. And that's kind of a different thing, you know. The writer of Proverbs says, um, prepare your work without and make it ready for your field. Then afterwards you, you build your house, right? And you don't, you don't bring a woman into a house that ain't ready, Right? I mean, if, if the brother man doesn't have anything going for him, how he going to take care of you? I mean, really. You know, well, anyway, that's another, another sermon. That's okay. But Joseph, he, he contracted uh, with uh, her father for her. And, and I, I like that because what, what that means is, and, 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 and you know, I was thinking about that. You know, she's, she's contracted to be married, and then the angel says to her, now you're going to have a child. Now, wait a minute. How come he didn't tell her that before she got engaged or before she was contracted? Why did he, why did he wait until after the fact? When that means mess everything up, you know? And why didn't she say to Joseph, I'm sorry, I got a new gig now. We're not doing marriage at all. No. Actually, he waits until she's contracted, and then he introduces her to the fact that she's going to have a son. Because, you know, what that means is, is nothing in the trajectory of her life really changes. She was going to bring her son right into her marriage, right into her child-rearing, right into everything in her life. And isn't that what God does? You know, God, he, he doesn't change everything about my life when I accept Christ. My calling is to, to bring Christ into every part of the everyday, ordinary pieces of my life. In every part of my life, I am to bring Christ and make Christ known. And, and that's exactly what he did with her. And so it was good that she was contracted because it tells me that God wanted her to introduce her son into all of her life. And that's the same that he wants for you and for me. The question is, am I, how am I doing with that? You know, introducing Christ into every part of my life. Making him known in every area. Fourth thing, Mary... Mary was called. She was called. I like this. The verses 28 through 33 are, are really exciting. I mean, they're all exciting. But it says, um, having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now, you don't get that kind of blessing every day, that kind of greeting. In fact, I was, I was reading um, in the commentary, Bible background commentary, and it says this, it says, greetings like hail, you know, hello, hi, were normal, but rank and status within society 
determine whom one should greet and with what words. As both a woman and a young person, who both of whom are invisible in that society, perhaps 12 to 14 years old, not yet married, Mary had virtually no social status. And yet he calls her highly favored one and says that the Lord is, is with you. In fact, they says, neither the title, favored, or grace one, nor the promise the Lord is with you was traditional in greetings. Has she even been a person of status? It is so unusual for anyone to bless someone who is a nobody in that way. And yet, that's exactly what the angel does. Because this is, this is not about who she is. This is about what God's going to do in her. And so God is projecting, and that's a great, great, great thing. It is about this very ordinary person becoming extraordinary. Like someone says, the difference between ordinary and extraordinary is, is that little word extra, you know, that, that extra time that you put in in your reading and in your praying, that extra time that you put in in your studying, that extra time that you put in building yourself up on your most holy faith. It's that extra time that you put in with the Lord that makes the difference between an ordinary, mediocre life, a ho-hum life, an extraordinary, God-honoring, God-exalting life. And he says to her, well, I mean, you can understand why verse 29 says when she saw him, she was, she was troubled at what he said. And trying to figure out, well, what kind of greeting was that? I mean, I, I'm, I'm nobody. But he's coming at me with all of these high-sounding words. What is this about? So, no doubt, she's thinking, now, what, what are you about to do? So, he says to her, don't be afraid, Mary, verse 30. You found favor with God. Behold, you, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you'll call his name Jesus. Jesus, which means Savior. The angel predicted some five things about Mary, and they're all found right here in verses 32 and 33. He'll be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. He'll be given the throne of his father, David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. You, Mary, have been chosen by God to introduce his son into the world. What a high privilege that is. What a great, extraordinary privilege that is. And Mary's a great role model because guess who else? has been given the privilege, the extraordinary privilege of introducing the Son of God to the world. You and I. He, he saved us that we might display the excellencies of the one who calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We used to be nobodies. We were a no people, but now we're the people of God. We were not the recipients of mercy. We were under his wrath. But now we've received his mercy. And he's done for us these great things. Did we deserve it? No. 
but we gladly receive it. And listen, when you think about how immense the privilege is, it should humble the heart. It should change the ways. Remember I told you before about the the girl who was of a different faith and she worked in this store and you know, Christmas season. Well, she hurt herself and they had to take her to the hospital. And when she was in the hospital, lying there in the bed, the nurse comes in and the nurse is really kind and thoughtful and cheerful and caring. <clears throat> and then she hears later that the nurse is a Christian. She couldn't believe it. And when the nurse came in, she says, I heard that you were a Christian. Is that true? And she said, yes, I am. He said, I never would have thought that. Said, Why do you say that? Because you're, you're so thoughtful and, and so kind and, and patient. And I, don't, I didn't think Christians could be that way. She said, but then the only Christians I know I ever met are Christmas shoppers. Oh, you know. Sometimes we just have to be careful what we do and what we say. <clears throat> when you think about the high privilege that you have, it ought to change everything about your heart, everything about your mind, everything about your feet. I mean, they may not shrink, but they should walk in righteousness when you think about it. Mary's a great role model. Finally, because, you know, she was compliant. <laughs> she was compliant. Verses 34, she asked the question, she, she says, how can this be since I, I do not know a man? I mean, I've never, you know, had any kind of relationships with a guy. And from what I understand about biology, that's kind of how it works. And the angel says, well, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to, come upon you and the power of the highest one will overshadow you. Therefore, also that holy one who was to be born will be called the son of God. You're going to have a child and he will be both your son and God's son. The God man. And I put, she was compliant despite her questions <clears throat> because, you know, some people say, well, well, you know, Zachariah got he asked a question. He got slapped in the mouth. Well, not slapped in the mouth, but, you know, he couldn't talk no more. And she asked the question, and she gets a, she gets a pass. Well, you know, I think, I, th I thought about that. I put a couple of verses up just to make this very simple point. In Luke one eighteen, when Gabriel comes to Zacharias and tells him that her his wife Elizabeth is going to have a son in her old age, he says, how can I know? This will happen. I mean, all that history in Scripture. Sarah on down. How can I know? He's a priest. He's the high priest. However, in the Greek, it kind of goes like this. When the angel, Gabriel tells him that, he says, according to whom? You know, what you talking about, Willie? How you, my wife is old, right? I'm old. See, he didn't believe. In fact, Gabriel tells him, you're going to be silent and unable to speak until the day these things took, take place because you did not believe my word. Oh, but when Mary asked, how can I have a baby? I, I'm a virgin. That's not how these things work. 
She's not expressing unbelief. She's trying to figure out what's going on. How's it going to take place? In fact, verse 45, Elizabeth says, you're blessed. And we talked about this last week. Because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. And the question is, do you believe God? Or do you just say you believe God? Sometimes it's, it's not the same thing. You know, in spite of her questions, she says, Lord, you know, I don't understand how it's going to work out. That doesn't mean that I don't believe it's going to work out. Because I believe what you said. I believe you do what you say you do. That ought to be you and I. You and me, sorry. And Mary is a great role model. She was compliant despite all the complications that will come about. No, I mean, Mary's no dummy. I mean, you, you, you count the score, right? You count the cost. I mean, she's, she's a virgin, and, and then she's she going to have a child. <laughs> How are you going to explain that, right? She's contracted to Joseph, but she's going to have a child. How's Joseph going to handle that? And she's going to say, uh, Joseph, I'm pregnant, but, you know, don't worry. Because, you know, I mean, God did this. Really? Yeah, I mean, you know, the Holy Spirit, he just kind of took over. He took possession of my womb, and he put holy seed, and we're going to have the Son of God. Oh, okay. Right? I don't think so. Right? And, you know, Joseph, he struggled with that, as you know, when you read the story. But, I mean, in spite of the fact that, I mean, that's a lot of explaining to do. How do I explain to my parents? Okay, I, I mean, I know this looks bad. Calm down. You know, put the bowl down. I'm, it's all right. <clears throat> Let me explain. God did this. <laughs> okay. What did he look like, right? I mean, you know, you can imagine all of the things. That, imagine the, the social stigma of walking around, Right? Nine months, well, at least the last six months, right? You know, and people going, I, I thought she was betrothed to Joseph. Joseph ain't even around here. Who did that? That's a lot to explain. Not to mention the fact that upon public knowledge that she's been knocked up by some guy, the penalty is death. And how do you, how do you deal with that? See, she's, I'm sure all these things have gone through her. I don't know how this is all going to work out. I don't have all the answers. I told you before, I was at the post office, and, you know, when I was out on the dock, those guys, man, they gave me a hard time for being a Christian. They would call, ask me a lot of crazy things, and, you know, one day they were running me down, running, asking me questions, peppering me with questions, I had no idea. And one of the guys, the most cynical, one of the most cynical, he started, he said, oh, wait, 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 I got it. He said, he doesn't know all the answers. He just knows the guy, the one who does. I'm like, yeah, that, you know. <laughs> I'm like, the Lord gave him that, you know. I was happy. I don't have all the answers, but I know who does, you know. And that's the most important thing. Maybe maybe you, you have a bunch of questions going through your mind. Maybe there's some issues going on. You say, I don't know how this is all going to work out. But listen, the one who knows everything, 
Listen, he knew all about your situation before you even were conceived. He knew all about how it was going to end. He already knows. Nothing is ever going to sneak up on God. And not only that, he can do anything. He can work all things together after the counsel of his will. And so, I mean, when you see that, you know, what's the question? The question, the only question to be answered is, do I trust him? And if the answer is yes, then you get to verse 38. I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. Mary responded. She said, I am the Lord's servant. I'm willing to accept whatever he wants. It, it doesn't matter what he wants. I'm willing to accept it. Listen, I, I trust him. So may everything you said come true. Complications notwithstanding. It's, it's a God thing. Now listen, there's, there's a lot of trust in that. And we don't, we don't, don't just blow right by that to get to the rest of the story. <clears throat> I mean, this is serious human drama. This is people having to work through the issues of life, struggling with that and saying, you know what? God is going to do the right thing. God is going to pull this off. God is going to make it happen. I trust him with everything in my life. That's where you have to be. That's where I want to be. I want to be able to say God is able to do anything. And listen, in Sunday school, we were talking about the things that, that God would do to strengthen our faith, to confirm, you know, his, his will for us so that we can trust him. And, and I, I was thinking that through. I, unfortunately, Wayne Johnson answered before I was able to say anything. And, you know, when Wayne gives the answer, Wayne, he preaches in paragraphs. I mean, he speaks in paragraphs. <clears throat> Everybody else gives two sentences. Wayne gives, like, a page full. So, you know, when you're answering the questions in class, you have to try to get it in before Wayne raises his hand. Because once Brother Charles says, Wayne, everything just shuts down, right? <laughs> Wayne's the answer. I shouldn't, I shouldn't do Wayne like that. I'm sorry. It's true, but it's, it's too late, right? <laughs> I mean, it's true, but, you know, it's, it's all good. I appreciate, I appreciate Wayne. See, I lost what I was going to say. No, I didn't. <laughs> when I was at the post office, I told you before uh, uh, how every every week, every day before I went, I would park my car uh, way away from the post office where I didn't have to pay for parking. And then I would walk. I didn't have no money. I was a college student, okay? <clears throat> but then I would walk, and, and when I would, I would turn on my car, the first thing I'd do is pray before I would go. And I tell you, I'd been there at least six months, and I mean, nobody had come to faith in Christ. And I'm like, Lord, I mean, you, you got me here. And, I mean, I, I'm, I'm your witness, but I mean, nobody getting saved. I say, Lord, and I'm just feeling a sense of frustration. I just need you to do something. Lord, just save somebody today. I don't care. Just save somebody. <laughs> and I went to work that day. And... You know, I told you a story about the guy who did all the fighting and cursing and brawling, and we got linked together at the end of our shifts, and he started asking me questions about my faith. And when I was telling him what Christ had done for me and how he saved me, he was quiet. I turned around, and he was crying. And I said, you don't want to receive Christ, do you? He said, yes. 
And I led him to Christ that day. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. That's it. I went to work the next day. Well, before I got there, I turned the car off and I was going to go and I had this thought. That was going to happen anyway. It wasn't because you prayed. It was because that just circumstances just worked out that way. I'm like, Lord, the devil's giving me a hard time. He's saying it was going to happen anyway. I said, Lord, if you just shut him out, just save somebody today. Just because I asked. I went to work that day. And went the whole day. And we got to the end. And about 30 minutes before the end of the shift again, the supervisor comes out and says, we ran out of work. We're going to send some of y'all inside to spread blanket to spread the, the sacks. And we went in. And, of course, the Motley group, the group, they started in on me again about my faith. And this guy I went to high school with, in fact, he graduated with my wife, Gary Vaughn. He, he, he started defending me. He said, you don't know that his faith is real. You don't know. And he started just going back at them about that. And it surprised me. I mean, I knew Gary because we had worked in the hospital together. But afterwards, I said, Gary, are you a Christian? He said, well, no. Like, really? Why not? He said, well, I don't know how to become a Christian. Really? Would you like to know? He said, well, yeah. And I was able to lead him to Christ right there. In fact, I was talking to him. It's kind of like the thing in Acts where, you know, the Holy Spirit fell on his guys. You know, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit fell on him. But, I, you know, I was talking to him, and he says, he says, Ray, man, he says, I, I got this, this real good feeling in my heart right now. And he starts to tear up, you know. I'm like, oh, yeah, God's got a hold of his heart. And he prayed to receive Christ. And I'm like, get that, Satan. The thing is, I asked. And, you know, circumstances be what they may, it seemed that God answered what I asked. That's why we say, right, things happen when you pray that don't happen when you don't pray. So I prayed. And the Lord responded my prayer. And I think it's because God wants me to know that he's the God that I can trust. He's the God who responds to me and what I need. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I'm able to ask or think. Well, let's wrap this up. Let me give you five quick points, five quick points of application. They're on the sheet that Sister Brooks sent you anyway, so you don't have to write anything down. All right, here they are, five points of application. Number one, God will use anyone with a willing heart. That's what I learned from Mary. See, he, if, if I'm willing, then God says, okay, let's go. I'm able to do some things through the person who's willing to trust me enough to get them done. Secondly, character precedes calling. What I am is more important than who I am. I want to work on the character. In fact, Proverbs 20, is it, is it 20 verse 6? It, it says, even a child is known by what he does, whether his works be up pure, whether they be upright. You, you know, a child builds a reputation based on what they have done. Henry Ford says, no one ever builds a reputation on what they could have done. 
It's easy to talk a good game for the Lord. Living, though, that's the hard part. The extraordinary becomes extraordinary when God is in it. Listen, I I, I don't want to say I dare you, but I dare you to trust God to do something incredible in your life. You know, um, J.B. Phillips, the one who wrote, you know, the book, Your God is Too Small, he says, when you consider how great and powerful and awesome God is, and you compare his ability with those little peony prayer requests that you have, it's almost an insult. If he's a great king, then why are you asking for pennies? Can you imagine Rockefeller's son saying, Dad, you, can I have five dollars? <laughs> really? <laughs> anyway. God wants to do extraordinary things. Number four, my life's purpose. My life's purpose is to reveal God's son to the world. He, he doesn't change my trajectory. I mean, he may, my wife said, that's not true because we were going into a blissful, easy career in pharmacy and then you, you know, Lord pulled you off into the ministry. That wasn't what I was expecting. I'm like, well, honey, that's not what I was expecting either. But I've asked her several times, has it been a good ride? I mean, we've seen some really, really incredible things happen in our lives, you know. We've seen God do some incredible things, you know. I mean, it's, it's nothing to be able to, to pray and say, Lord, I'm stuck. This bill comes due. I need a windfall by Friday. I need $1,200. Been there. I went to the mailbox that Friday. Open it. Here's a letter from a friend that I went to the seminary with, John Nicholas. He said, Ray. The church that we planted, we every four, every first uh, Sunday, we take up an offering to give away for special needs. And he says, I, I don't know, I just thought about you, and so we decided we're going to send it to you. So here's a check for $1,200. We've seen God do some incredible things. And, you know, God doesn't always do everything I ask, obviously, but he's done enough for me to know I can trust him to do anything that's consistent with his will for my life. And that's the thing. And of course, the greatest ability still remains availability. Are you willing to say, Lord, I'm yours. To do what you want, when you want, the way you want, as long as you want. There was a farmer who happened to attend the church on Christmas Day. It was on Sunday that year, and that doesn't happen all the time, but it was that year. So being a good CME uh, person, you know, go to church on Christmas, Mother's Day, and Easter, he decided, well, let me go to church. And of all the things, that day the preacher preached on um, Isaiah 1-3 say the ox knows its owner, the ass is master's crib but he says Israel does not know my, my people they, they don't understand and I mean that's not your typical Christmas sermon. He went home afterwards though and he had to get out there and he was with the cows and all of a sudden one of the cows started licking his hand It dawned on him, he says, you know, 
the cow knows that I'm the owner. I provide the barn. I, you know, milk it, milk her. I, you know, do all the things to take care of her, brush her, whatever. And she knows enough to know that I take care of her, and she appreciates what I do. He says, and yet, you know, God, he gave me life. He gave me everything in my possession. He's given me health and strength. That cow is more appreciative to me than I am to the God who made me. Broke his heart. Can I ask you, it's not a fair question to ask you, but I, I decided to put this picture up just to see a little envelope there with a little heart on it. Just think of, think of those Christmas cards. You, you know how you, you say every year you ain't going to send out no Christmas cards. Then you get three in the mail and you feel guilty. You go buy them, but they only come in packs of 20, so you got to send out more than you intended. But anyway, what, what, if you were going to send out a card to God expressing your appreciation for what he's done, what would it say? What would you tell God? Would you, you say, you know, I, I appreciate what you've done, but, you know, I got my own life to live? Would you, or would you say, I'm, I'm willing to do what you say? Or maybe even I'm willing to be made willing. Would you say, Lord, maybe my character hasn't been all that it, it should have been or could have been, but I'm sorry that I've transgressed your holiness and I failed to represent you and your character. Is that what you would say? Or would you say, Lord, I trust you to do anything you want and I will put no limitations on you and what you can do and what you desire to do in and through my life? Or would you say, Lord, my desire this year is to allow you to use me to make your son known in my relationship circles. Would you say, Lord, I'm available to you? What, what would you put on the card as a statement of your love for him? What would it say today? You ought to think about that. We ought to decide that, listen, he is worth it all. Father, thank you so much again for this day. and Thank you for loving us as you do. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of this young teenager and her courage. Even in the, the midst of, of so much that she was going to face, she never wavered in her commitment to you and her belief that you would work all these things out. May we be so minded. And Father, I pray as always, if there is anyone here under the sound of my voice, that is still holding back, still holding out, still walking in darkness and thinking that I'm not sure, I'm not convinced if Jesus is worth my time and my commitment. Father, I pray that today the light may come on, that the light of the world would be seen and understood and acknowledged by them. That, Father, you might be pleased to call them out of darkness into your light that they might receive forgiveness of sins, a renewed life. They may learn to walk with you into life, a life that our Lord said is full of meaning and purpose. Help them to trust you and to surrender their hearts to Christ. Help those of us who know you 
to continue to display Christ, make him known to those around us. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake.